the Pro Tools Expert Podcast with Dan Cooper, Julian Rogers, and Alan Salabank. Hello and welcome to the Pro Tools Expert Podcast number 312. It's the 26th of March 2018. I'm Dan Cooper. I'm Julian Rogers. And I'm Alan Salabank. So deals. So the last chance to get these deals before they're gone at the end of this month. And uh, the product production expert has teamed up with Pro Sound Effects to offer a one-off exclusive bundle deal, the Cinematic Sound Effects Bundle, combining three sound effects libraries by the Masters of Sound Effects, Anne Kroba and Alan Splett, with an exclusive discount of over 30%. Now, this bundle is totally exclusive to production experts, so get it before it's gone, which is the end of this week. And um, in modern vocal production timing is everything. So with that in mind, we are featuring this partner deal throughout March on the Time Alignment software Vocaline Project 3. Until the end of March 2018, Synchro Arts are offering a 30% discount on all new licenses and upgrades, making their Vocaline Project 3 available for the lowest price it's been in, in its entire 20-year history. Follow the uh, links in the podcast notes to check out these deals. And you can also check out the rest of the deals from our partners in the Partner Deals section of the deals page. Excellent. Well, let's move across to some talking points, and these are sponsored by our friends over at Universal Audio. Good morning, children. This is Fab DuPont. The Pro Tools Expert Podcast Talking Points are brought to you with the support of Universal Audio. Looking to get that big analogue console sound from your in-the-box mix? Well, if you buy and register any new UAD2 DSP accelerator between January the 1st and March the 31st, 2018, you'll get the world's most authentic Neve, API, SSL and Universal Audio console emulation plugins for Mac and Windows with a value of up to $1,196 absolutely free as part of the UAD Classic Consoles plugin promotion. Click the link in the podcast notes for more info. Excellent. Well, first talking point this week, lads. Uh, this is Russ setting the record straight, um, I would say. If you think software subscriptions are bad, then read this. Now, we'll get onto some of the comments uh, on socials and in the article. But first, let's sort of uh, just recap really quickly what Russ was uh, trying to get across here. Um, obviously, we know that plenty of brands out there are getting on the plugin subscription thing. We've got Avid with Pro Tools and you know countless other brands in that. And Lots of people whinge about software subscription, and it's not all bad. And really what uh, this article is all about is breaking the myths uh, around uh, software subscription. And I think Russ has nailed it quite a lot here. There's some really strong arguments uh, defending software uh, subscription services. Julian, I know you've uh, got a few things you want to say about this. Oh, just halfway through writing my notes there. Okay, um, straight in with it. I'm, I'm, I was a few years ago. I was really hostile to this whole thing. The first people who kind of broke cover in our world was Waves, and I was, I was not at all happy with the idea. But um, I've two things have happened since I've changed my my position somewhat. Um, it depends who you are. And we, I mean, this is old ground. We've been over it. But if you are a home user who's doing this stuff as an interest in a kind of non-professional in the sense of you're not submitting a tax return featuring stuff to do with this, I'll be very clear about what I mean. I'm not talking about how good you are. I'm talking about 
on what basis you're doing it, then all the arguments about about expenditure versus you know all that taxi stuff doesn't really count, and I get that totally. Um, if you if you are running a small business, that's been covered by others already, and I'll leave it. But it's true there are write off advantages, of course there are, and planning advantages and cash flow stuff and all of that. And I'm not going there. But the thing the 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 big thing with this is that um, it's not that I've got a problem with subscription anymore. I did because it was new and I didn't like the idea and I like to know where I was and all that kind of stuff. But if it's perpetual, then that's very different from if it's pure subscription. If you stop paying the the subscription, do you lose your software or access to your software or do you just lose access to upgrades? That's a massive distinction. And you, you have to draw a distinction on what you mean when you're saying, oh, it's rubbish. Pro Tools, for example is perpetual in the sense of you don't lose Pro Tools if you if you drop off your plan. You don't. And that's very significant difference compared to, I don't know, like Adobe, for example, which um, I've, I've never stopped paying my plan, but <laughs> I think if I do, I think I won't have Photoshop anymore. I'm correct, aren't I? I yeah. believe so, yeah. So, exactly. So these two things aren't the same, so people need to draw that distinction. The other really big thing is not all the deals are the same. It depends what you're doing, you know, because... It's not kind of I really resent paying. Well, no, I mean, I mean, some people do resent paying for anything at all, and for those people, they're irrelevant to this conversation because if they're mm. never going to pay for anything, then commercially they are transparent. They they're not in the equation, and companies don't care about you if you're never going to buy anything. Why should they? <laughs> you know. But uh, if you if you are if you are prepared to pay something, it's about the value proposition. How much does it cost? Is it good value? Is it more expensive? Is it less expensive? Are there some hidden catches? So my take on it is this: um, I think. Um, oh, and of course, there's 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 now the new development. Um, have you seen like the? Uh, I should know what this is called. I wrote the post about it. Uh, Pick pack, the plugin alliance thing where you're kind of like uh, rent to buy, rent if to you buy. like. Yeah. Which is, yeah. that's an interesting extra flavour in there as well, which kind of goes a long way towards alleviating people's anxieties. We've got to remember what the motivation for this is from the software vendor's point of view, of they want cash flow, because without cash flow, a business can't exist. But my last point, and then I will hand it over to someone else, because I'm, I'm having my big splurge at the top of the show, is um, uh, what's, what exactly is the proposition? What's the deal? And the, the only thing that, and I know why it's there, and it isn't unfair, but it is kind of harsh, and I totally understand why people are resistant to it, with the avid proposition, is the reinstatement fee. And I, I get why that's unpopular. Of course I do. And in exactly the same way, I totally get why Avid have put it there, you know? So, yeah, but, you know, the, the, the very last point, and I've said this before on several podcasts when this kind of stuff's come up, but um, a very good friend of mine is, uh, is, a, is a very experienced IT professional. Um, he deals in that world, and he looks so unsurprised. I mean, he looks at me in bewilderment that anybody is surprised that all software is moving to subscription. Because it is. That's just. This isn't something that's happened to the audio industry. The audio, our world is being quite slow on this. This is the way it's happening. This is a huge thing that's going across software, and it's going to happen to everything. And that's just how it is. So it's a case of choose your battles. You know, do you want do you want to use software or not? Because if you do, this is the way it's going to go. 
because it's the way the entire industry is going. And why should our bit be different? I agree. I agree. I agree completely there, Julian. Don't disagree. It's more fun. No, no, no. (laughs) I I agree. I agree. Um, Everything subscription. Um, And Netflix, Amazon Prime, um, your phone bill. Just think of anything that you pay for monthly in some uh, form is a subscription. Do you know what I mean? You're subscribing to a service. And if you're doing it for, let's say, the Slate Everything Bundle and you're doing it for Avid Pro Tools, doing it for Photoshop, it's just another thing you've got to pay for every month. Get on with it. Um, if you want to buy a plug-in bundle, let's say uh, Perpetual, and it's $1,000, I used to really sweat over those purchases going, am I getting good value for money? And I'd sit there and I'd work out the plugins I really want in whatever bundle and go, am, am I getting a saving, aren't I? Yes, I am, but I'm getting all these other plugins that I'm not going to use. And lo and behold, I don't use them. Uh, <laughs> subscriptions are everywhere. I think they're great because you can get on and get off uh, the plan whenever you want. Oh, um, oh, oh, on some you can. Some you can, mm, yeah. yeah. I've, just, got, I've got a big, in generally in the world, I have a big problem with fixed term contracts. The way this stuff's going is, I mean, you mentioned Netflix and da, 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 and they, those people, they're at the front of the game. They know that if you make it easy to, to get off, mm. then that makes it easier to get on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Amazon, there's, there's, there's Amazon Prime commitment. has gone to monthly billing as well, you know, exactly, rather than yeah. making you pay up, yeah, up front. Yeah. For the Whereas year, I mean. I'm on a 12-month contract for, a, for, a, for my uh, Adobe, for example, which I think is, is old-fashioned and looks a bit, looks a bit, you know, looks a bit odd today. Because certainly I'm, I'm reluctant to jump onto a kind of 12-month commitment or something. And there's loads of people who only want short-term access to this stuff. But if they've got it... More than likely, more people are not going to cancel than are going to cancel when they've completed their short-term project. I get that. And the the people who are setting these things up need to make it work for the people who are going to use it because the software ultimately is for us. It's not for the people who write it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I've got a few websites uh, for uh, my businesses, so one for uh, the studio and one for, I I pay for it, for my wife's business, Um, Squarespace. And I pay, one of them is annual. So something like 250 quid comes out of my account every year. And then another one is something like 24 or 25 pounds a month. I never notice the 25 pounds a month that uh, leave my account. I always notice that 200 or so mm, every yeah. year. And it's like, Ugh. but I never notice the ones that's smaller. So give me monthly even if it's subscriptions. More expensive. Yeah. Even if it's what, 10% more expensive, I, you know, uh, to do it over uh, monthly, I'll do that. Because you just, it's, it's invisible money in a way. You just don't realise it. But big chunks, you go, oh, whoops, um, what was that for? And you look, oh, Squarespace. I should really get that on the monthlies. So, yeah, I, give me monthly subscription any day, uh, any day of the month. <laughs> that would be much better than annual ones. Alan, what are your okay. thoughts on this? Well, I'm going. it seems to fall to me to provide the fun then, as Julian said. So I'm, I'm going to be on the other side of the fence here pretty massively, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I am the plug-in subscriptions front of Judea. No. Um, God, well, this weekend I was massively burnt, as you could probably read from my article in Production Expert, um, by one of the side effects of subscriptions, which is rolling updates and not voluntary rolling updates. So my Wave Central updated, and the version available to download updated, the only version available to download, 
and it didn't work on either Mac or Windows. It was exactly the same result. It was crashing and not being able to install any software. Um, and to my knowledge, it's still not fixed. Uh, so we had to hack around and find a way to download the full four gigabyte offline installer and be able to install from that. But that could, that delayed a Pro Tools install by 24 hours for me. And that could be fatal. That could be absolutely fatal to a project. Now, um, you know, and I had no choice to update. Similarly with Adobe, um, I had a problem where on my Windows platform, it updated to a version that then my Mac platform couldn't update to because it was on a prior operating system and by which it couldn't also open the projects from the Windows version because it was a future version that my Mac couldn't update to. So this is the problem with subscriptions. They don't, in my opinion, foster legacy support. Is, is that subscription, it. though, Alan? Or is it, I, I agree with you, but I, I'm not sure that's how you're paying for it. That's how updates are being handled, which is no, related, but, but it's that's, not that's quite the, thing. the same no, thing. No, that's the thing, because part of the reasoning from a developer's point of view is that a rolling cash flow enables them to do more frequent updates. And that's it also means that everybody's all automatically bought the update. But that's yes, not the same exactly. thing as you, you, you mentioned well, that. No, it's different between, say, between Pro Tools and, say, um, uh, Adobe. Uh, Pro Tools, I can save the full installer for Pro Tools, every version that comes out. I can save that locally and keep it so that I can roll back. No problem at all. I can't with Adobe. It overwrites the old version. Even the download installer, say, for Waves, is the same bloody name. I mean, you could rename it when you save it with the current date, but it's still not going to download the correct online installer. Mm. So this, this you're, you're getting trapped. This, this, this is a side effect, but it's an important one to discuss because we are getting railroaded as users of, you know, not just audio users, but as people, you know, domestic users of phones, tablets, uh, set-top boxes, smart TVs, everything. We are getting railroaded into constantly updating our tech. Now, if you're a post facility, which generally are more than one studios, more than one set of Pro Tools, um, it's a reasonable capital investment, and you have to make sure that that is going to last for like five years. You can't be stuck update, you know, getting the latest version of your iPhone every year. It doesn't work like that in post. And this is the problem: subscriptions encourage short-term rolling updates. And that really doesn't help with our business because we quite often get asked to revisit projects from years back. And we need to know that things are going to be able to open up. We need to know that we're not going to have to hunt around for somebody with a, for, with a pre-2011 MacBook Pro so we can open up Final Cut Pro 7. Um, so that's to part of the project. argument then, what, what you're saying is, because us audio guys, we're very precious about our uh, studio computers and we do hold off uh upgrading os's and upgrading pro tools and upgrading plugins just in case you break your system you know because you've got a job the next day or a job in a week or whatever updating things we all hold off and wait for everyone else to sort of report the bugs and all that sort of stuff but if we feel like we're being forced into frequent updates we kind of lost that 
control. Uh, no, we... ab- absolutely. And that, you know, as I said, that the, the problem with waves, which is one of the first subscription models, as Julian said, is that you know that twenty four hours could have cost me a job. It could cost me an awful lot of money, yeah. um, and that's just because of the way that you know. In order to avoid bugs, in order to keep up to everyone up to date, they they roll out subscriptions. They, they roll out regular updates, and they keep everything fresh. I mean, I understand that, and it keeps up with technology. But I mean, <clears throat> I thought the analogy Russ used with the sort of leasing your car—I mean, that makes sense if you're in a small business owner, um, because it's one less thing to have to worry about. You don't have to worry about sorting out the MOT, the servicing. It all gets looked after. If something gets wrong, you it's all included it. in it. Yeah. You just drive it. That's absolutely fine. However, as a small business owner, you wouldn't then rent your own house because that doesn't make sense the other way around. You know, because there are certain things from owning your own property and being able to use that as your self-employed base or your studio or what have you that you simply can't do when you're renting. So renting, leasing, subscription, whatever you want to call it, um, it doesn't always work for everybody. And it's not not just an audio. It's... Yeah, I, yeah. As I said earlier, I think we are being railroaded into in, into updating what is effectively non-recyclable, non-repairable, uh, lifespan limited equipment, and well, not, it's not good not for the planet. That. It's not good for our finances. And the funny thing is, a lot of people in the last couple of months have been saying that the car leasing arrangements, which seemingly everybody are now taking out is the next subprime mortgage disaster waiting to happen. Apparently, they are leasing cars to people who really shouldn't be able to. So, and, you know, this is on a different level to leasing out to subscriptions for plugins and audio and post-production software. But you have to then wonder how safe you are from the vagaries of the stock market. So say Adobe were to go under the date tomorrow. I mean, it's not unheard of that somebody their size could be taken out. That's that this is, this is what's going on. So you have to be, I think people are being quite short sighted when they're saying, Oh yeah, the subscription. Yeah, that's fine. You know, it's so, you know, um, I recently bought uh, Death of Stalin, which is a fantastic film on Google Play Movies, because I had some free credit on there anyway. And then it occurred to me that if I wasn't online, it's not like I could just grab the Blu-ray and stick it in the Blu-ray player and watch it whenever I wanted. So there's there's, there's various... There's pros and cons, you know. the, The whole point with subscription also is it's a very good way to discourage piracy. The best way to discourage piracy is to never give the client the media in the first place. But See, let's so not forget, though, that, that, that subscriptions, um, all of them, they're, they're an option. They're, they're just a, a way of getting into whatever service it, that is. So again, if you want the Slate plugins, but you can't afford to buy each one of them for $5,000, you spend the, what's it, $15 a month, whatever... You go that route. It's an option. Um, yeah, no. Or, or if you do have the money, you buy them. It depends who it is. Um, I, I yeah, it does. something. Yeah. I mean, I think we might have gone slightly beyond our remit talking about you know um, stock market collapse and stuff. But <laughs> good point. But you know, I'm, I'm I'm sort of bringing it back round. What you were saying about, I mean, I, I stand by what I was saying about kind of like you, what you're talking about is something that's to do with how software subscription is managed, but it's not quite the same thing as software subscription itself. But um, 
something was very familiar. We're talking about the kind of the forced updates and stuff like that. And it reminded me of like in my last job, um, I was I was an employee. I had uh, I had a company computer and I was on a company network and I had a company account and I had um, a very pig-headed IT department who thought they were kings of the world. Sorry, but you did. Um, who <laughs> told me what I could do with my computer. And I didn't like that at all. I mean, most people who are kind of really quite involved in what they're doing, especially working with the kind of stuff that we work with, really don't like it at all when that happens. But... They don't challenge the basis of it because it's like, actually, it's your computer, it's your software, it's your network, it's your time, my time is your... You know, fair enough, you can tell me what to do, I'll just resent it. But that doesn't apply when you're talking about customers. We're not employees of software companies. And if they roll out an update, I don't think they've got a, a reasonable basis to force us to take it. Absolutely not. And some people are doing that, and I, I think they're overstepping the mark a bit. That This stuff has to be optional because we're customers. But it's the kind of the culture of that kind of world is kind of like keep everything shipped. This is best practice. And it comes from corporate management of, you know, thin client-type workflows where you're pushing it. You know, and absolutely you hold on to that stuff, and it's a really efficient way of working, especially if everyone that you're doing it to has to do it because – it's their job to, and it's not our job to do what we're told by software companies. So that's just the point I wanted to make. That's a good point. It's a good point. It just comes down to control, doesn't it? And us studio guys, we are control freaks when it comes to our uh, studio computers. And we have and to unfortunately, be, so are people who write software. So yeah, yeah there's going to be a yeah. fight there. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's move on to our second talking point. Would you uh, like your pro control or Control 24, the uh, Pro Tools control services, to work with Pro Tools again? Nyrink may have an answer. Uh, he's been busy, uh, and this looks very, very interesting. If you haven't seen this video um, on our page, uh, do check this out. But I think a little bit of a backstory first for those that may not know. Uh, but if you don't know about the Control 24 and Pro Control, where have you been? This was huge news um, a couple of years back when Pro Tools 11 came out. These uh, control services were no longer supported, no longer worked in Pro Tools. There was a lot of noise uh, out there on the interweb of uh, users of these two control services because um, they kind of got ditched. Uh, and then, you know, what, what could you do? Nothing except from either move on your control services and buy something new or stay in a Pro Tools 10 environment. But no, uh, no Rink has done some hard work and he looks like he's soon going to have a, a solution. Uh, it looks very interesting. Alan, what do you think about this? Oh, well, I, I'll bring the fun again. Because um, so, <laughs> I know you're a control uh, surface guy like me. Um, yeah. Julian, I know you are as well, but I want to pick Alan's brain first. I'm, I think I'm in a minority here. And I, I'm not afraid to speak out about it. I hated the Pro Control with a passion. It was... One of the worst control surfaces I've, I've thought. The, the, the assignable section with the, the, the knobs only made sense if you were using the old EQ2 style plugins, which had the sliders instead of the knobs. You know, that's mm. the only way it yeah. mapped properly. So as soon as EQ3 came out with knobs instead of sliders, then nothing made sense at all. Uh, using it in multi-channel was a nightmare um, because uh, they, they supported 5.1 monitoring control, However, the talkback channel shared 
a, a physical audio route with the center channel. So if you accidentally lent, lent on the talkback button um, when you were working in 5.1, you got uh, Howlround between your center speaker and the talkback mic. Uh, things like that. And then and also, if you've ever tried to service one, if you ever try to take out a dead fader and replace it or even clean it, you know it's like a sort of, you know, you know when the Jenga pile gets really wobbly and it all collapses in a huge mess? That's what it's like when you accidentally spill all the buttons out of a pro control when you're trying to oh, service dear. a fader. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I, and you know, I came to pro controls from uh, an AMS Neve DFC. So I guess I was spoiled. Um, but I did, a bit of, I did a bit of research, and according to the user manual, it was 1999 those surfaces came out. So that's 19 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, the, these control surfaces are about 20 years old. Yeah. Yeah, easily. And so... Uh, are we expecting to be able to use 20-year-old Macs and PCs? No. <sighs> well, I think the Pro Control, I'm sort of with you on that. Um, I don't think it was particularly good. I mean, it was for the time, but, you know, you look at what's what out, what's out there today, you know, it doesn't really stand well, up. The, con- the Control 24, though, I think that's a peach. I think that's a brilliant, brilliant control surface, and it really isn't that dissimilar to the the C24 at all, it's just basically a different design and a couple very of good bits, music. But, uh, very yeah, good for music. Very good for music. Ergonomically for music. Really Ergonomically good. great I, you know, for music. But, yeah, yeah. I, I cut my teeth in Pro Tools with, with a Control 24 and I absolutely loved it. And yeah, it was a shame to hear that those things were sort of being axed. And it's nice to see one um, being reborn with uh, Nyrink's little uh, workarounds. Julian, what's your thoughts on this? Uh, well, I mean, you, you're right. It was it was 1999. I was just doing a quick Google, and I found uh, I found the original DigiDesign um, uh, video, which I shall have to watch <laughs> the the original Avid tutorial. I don't think it would have been Avid actually. But anyway, um, what do I think? I've never used a Pro Control. Um, uh, I I mean, I do understand the reluctance people who've. I mean. I'm, I was try, I was looking around trying to see how much they cost, and I mean they weren't cheap, but they, were they weren't figures, like huge. I mean, I, I've got a feeling they were kind of like ten grandy kind of money, which yeah. you know, and I mean, especially twenty years ago, that's that's a significant amount of money, but it's not big money. Like you know, I mean that that it's not S six kind of. Well, I mean, I'm thinking. Never mind about S six. I'm thinking about it's not like kind of uh, you know some heartbreaking images of kind of like you know um, early digital consoles that cost as much as a house. You know, out by the out by the bins. You know, and I mean, you know, this stuff. Well, is, back in it, back it, in 1999, the yeah, one of the DFCs we bought was five times the cost of my house at the time. So yeah, yeah, they, they, you had to have lease arrangements, subscriptions, how shall we say, going back to the previous conversation. But yeah, I mean, that was the thing. You had to really sort of think about planning the legacy of it. And nobody ever generally planned beyond five years, let alone 10 or 20. That said, I've got got an Apple Cinema display um, in, uh, in the room next to me, which I saw the other day when I was going through some stuff. And I was looking at it thinking... They were expensive. I can't use that. I can't use that anymore. Well, yeah. I, I didn't. I, I bought it secondhand. It wasn't very expensive when I bought it. Um, oh, I bought my however, new. Oh, it's 
bloody expensive. And it went. I'm talking pink. about. I'm, t- I'm talking about the old, the old, old one. The the one that went with the with the like you know the transparent C4s. I mean G4s. Oh right, one of those. Oh, right. Yeah, with the AGP connection. Mm. Remember that thing? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and basically. <sighs> You know the the computer that that it that it spoke to died, and it's still up there. And I'm, but I'm very reluctant to to. I mean, I I don't know if I could sell it. I, I'm sure I'd get virtually nothing for it. And personally, I can't be asked to post something as big as that. So you know, that's kind of out the window. It's kind of take it to the tip, but it's really difficult to take something a nice object that had value a while ago, but has been superseded by progress and technology and stuff. But the only way I could possibly run that would be there is a box that you can get on eBay if you can find one that's an AGP to DVI converter that, you know, and I mean, really, you know, <laughs> so that's not going to happen. But it's still the same wrench. But yeah, 20 year old pro control that, you know, while it while it was expensive and I'd be upset if if i'd spent all that money and i could no longer use the thing you've also got to acknowledge that kind of like you know it's it had its time uh control 24 i've only used one once one of the old steep ones um mm. i have to say I, I didn't enjoy the experience i found the build quality a bit plasticky and a bit mm, you know so i wasn't i wasn't that taken by it i have to say i certainly wouldn't have bought one for institutional use it had a feel of all the knobs and switches are going to get put through on this if I leave it, um, leave it for you know uh, less careful people than me to play with. Um, but still, you know, I totally get the frustration. And that one is that bit newer, and it's so similar to the C twenty four that is still supported. That yeah, I I can see a case for for keeping it running. Yeah, but I mean, you know, the thing that really I I do think about is okay, that's all fine, and that's kind of you know, it's it's not cheap. But it's not end of the world money to have invested in. But we've got end of life coming. Well, end of life's already happened, but end of support. I wonder how far away it is for things like D controls, and they were expensive. Well, they run on a fairly. They run on a very similar protocol to um, to, C twenty four to the pro to the pro controls and the and the C twenty four and the control twenty fours is is the the DigiNet protocol. Which yeah. has been massively superseded by um, Yukon. Yukon, now mm, exactly. and, and and quite rightly because I mean, um, Diginet can't support multi-channel metering on channel strips and stuff like that, and various other niceties that we're starting to get used to with Yukon. Um, you can't coexist uh, a Yukon surface like um, Pro Tools Control on your on your iPad with a with a D with a D command or Control Twenty Four. Um, or C twenty four. Sorry. Um, so there's there's lots of drawbacks about it. And again, it's it's about this. Okay, we've gone about as far down this road as we can do. We now need to hop over to the to, to the wider one, um, the wider, more recently surfaced one. You know that gives us a smoother ride. Um, I, I don't know. It, it's but all of those feelings that I was describing about the this hypothetical pro control owner. Um, that's going to be amplified so many times by somebody who's got, say, um, a D control, and uh, and then finally that version of Pro Tools comes out that no longer supports that. I I don't know. I mean, I I'm sure Avid are aware of this and are going to kind of look after those people based on the investment that that they've made. But they, I mean, it can't go on forever, so it's just a matter of when, not if. But uh, yeah, that's that would that would hurt. There's lots of positives. 
there's lots of positives here. One of them being if you own one of these, there's now a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and if it, this all does come through and the software works, you can then move on to uh, the current version of Pro Tools. So that's a good thing. And I'm sure people will pay a lot of money for that if they really want to use their C20, so Control 24 or Pro Control. There's another good point as well. The Control 24, you'll see them pop up on eBay for about a thousand pounds or less, depending on the condition. Think of um, like young guys, students, people like, you know, getting into this and they're really keen. They could pick up one of these for a thousand bucks, get this software and they've got themselves a pretty serious Pro Tools controller for not a lot of money. Do you know what I mean? That's artist mix money, isn't it? You know, the, the I think that's that a really good thing. About that. Is 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 are they all still out there? Because I mean, what are these doing? I mean, uh, presumably they're they're lent up uh, they lent up in storerooms in various places. But how many working pro controls are still out there? There obviously there are some, but I'd, I'd be interested to know how many compared to the investment of time that Nightring are making on on writing this thing. And they must have done that that uh, calculation to see well, that the, the, the market exists. The Control Twenty Four was very popular. Um, I can only imagine thousands of them were made. And, you know, we spoke about this last week about packaging. Um, we use that term upcycling. Well, why not? Why can't we upcycle a Control 24? If it still, if it works as a machine, but it's a bit of software that just needs it to work properly with the software, that's a great thing. Um, and it's going to help a lot of people out, other people that own it or the person that's going to buy one of someone that doesn't want to use it anymore. Because if you have got one of these sitting in one of your storerooms, Control 24, and you actually have to buy a new desk, say a C24 or something else, you've still got that, like you're holding onto your screen. You, that's now worth something to someone because they can actually then get it working with Pro Tools. Everyone's a winner. Uh, the only thing I will say about the Control 24, and it, it's a bit of a killer, it's got a terrible um, fault with its power supply. They just go for no reason. Uh, and it's a bit of a job to get them fixed. I knew someone that owned one of these and it went on them about three times, I think, in five years. You know, that's that's bad. Do you know what I mean? It's out of the blue. Bang. Doesn't work. Same generation as the 002 and the 002. Had Double o- that's yeah, what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. No, was, issue. I had that yeah. problem with it as well. Yeah, exactly. It was that, that era of control surfaces had that problem. And if you do get one of these used, you know, there's a very good chance that it's probably had that uh, fault or it could happen soon. Who knows? So, yeah, if you do want to buy one of those, you've been warned. Hmm. Still cheaper than S6, though. Oh, yeah. Right, so let's move on to some community feedback. And this is sponsored by our friends at RSPE Audio. The Pro Tools Expert Community Feedback is brought to you with the kind support of RSPE Audio Solutions. Great people and great prices. There's finally an affordable way to get yourself some PMC Studio monitors. PMC's new Result 6 is the result of 26 years of painstaking development, bringing you PMC's patented technology and sound at an affordable price. Contact RSPE or visit the RSPE website using the link in the podcast notes to learn more about the Result 6. Okay, so we've got one piece of feedback in uh, Evo Van Gurmit. Apologies if I've ruined your name there. I have been played with bad performance at Night 6K64 Buffer on my 6-core 3.33 Mac Pro on HD native since Pro Tools 11. Uh, though it ran great on Pro Tools 9 and 10. I've narrowed it down to the fact that my Mac 
uh, Pro Tools seems to be able to distribute the load evenly across the cores and threads at 64 or even 128 samples. I get a big spike on the uh, middle thread and progressively less load on the surrounding threads, like a medium high Q bell curve. Also have a Windows 8.1 partition on the same Mac Pro and it is able to uh, run great on 64 buffer dividing the load nicely and evenly that I happened upon your video where you upgraded your 2.664 core to the uh, 3.46 core and uh, in that test at 64 buffer 96k in your video the CPU seems to divide the load evenly on the Mac uh, this vid is a bit older though so I'm wondering what your findings have been since have you seen similar issues as uh, I've uh, described is it still running well or have you abandoned Mac OS altogether for similar reasons I know you have a PC too uh, I've been in touch with uh, Create Pro but they didn't really recognise my issue I'm interested to hear of, uh, your findings now this was James this was James's project a few years back wasn't it and yeah. the, he pimped Pimping that thing he didn't stop he kept going didn't he and it was a uh, yeah, but it did come to an end and then he switched to uh, PC because he wanted even more power. Um, so uh, I don't know, really. Um, Alan, this has definitely got your name on it uh, for ideas. So go for it. Uh, well, I mean, from 11 onwards, the allocation of um, uh, native plugin resources is different, completely different. It's dynamic. And so you are more likely to get that bell curve effect because it will arrange, it will dynamically arrange the plugins to go in the most efficient sequences possible. I mean, if you've looked at, if you've ever studied how um, different plugins and mix processes get assigned to a HDX card, you'll see that it doesn't, it doesn't seem to make much sense until you then start you thinking about how, what the individual impact of each plugin has. As they, then you understand why it's putting all of those together on one chip and all of these on another. Um, the, after 10 though, of course, it went 64 bit and everything changed because pre 11, you had to basically tell, um, Pro Tools, how many processes you wanted to down, you know, to, to dedicate to native processing, basically how many you wanted to lock out from everything else. So um, that would account for the, the, the difference in distribution because also the way, it's a bit um, needlessly technical, but the way that the 32-bit program through its processing demands at your CPU is a lot different to the way it does now. So that would account for the, the differences in load on your on on, on your system, but um, yeah, it's a bit it's a bit difficult to compare ten to eleven and onwards because it's such a fundamental shift in the technology that's underpinning Pro Tools. So um, that that's the thing. So um, I think if you're finding that running on Windows as a virtual machine under under Mac is is doing it for you then then, then do that um, if you're finding it's if it's more um, stable for you then carry on doing that if it's if it still offers you all the um, all the flexibility and everything you need from it I think that's your best way forward so uh, do as carry on regardless I think this is the best advice I can give good advice good advice well let's move on to uh, some questions from the community. Okay, first question as a message we got on Facebook asking uh, how to fix AAE error 7054. Uh, apparently they have tried installing Pro Tools, but this hasn't helped. Now Mike's had a little look at this and he's got uh, he's 
come to the rescue. Um, Mike says, uh, you give us very little to go on. Well, we do say this a lot on the podcast. Give us as much information as you can, and that will help us help you. So not telling us which plugin is causing the problem, but uh, Mike has dug, uh, dug about a little bit, and it seems that the AAE error 7054 relates to uh, you trying to use 32-bit plugins in a 64-bit application prior to Pro Tools 11. DAE error 7054 seemed uh, to relate not enough memory being allocated to the DAE. Hope that helps. Um, but again, always give us as much information as possible, what machine you're running, everything, all your versions of software. And yeah, we'll do our best to help you. Richard Gangi's been in touch via Facebook. He says, I've been using Pro Tools for radio for 22 years. I've been experiencing a terrible lag problem when editing. Using Pro Tools 12.5.2 on a Mac Pro running Sierra. Looking for tips on how to fix this choppy annoyance. And uh, Mike again has been in and, uh, and uh, given some advice. He's he's saying you don't say where this lag's happening. What you're doing that then takes a while. Uh, one thing which can cause a problem when editing is when you do an edit, it takes a while for Pro Tools to respond. There's a preferences setting in the editing tab. Make sure that the option separate clip operates on all related takes is unchecked. Uh, yeah, that's that's a good one actually because you have multiple playlists. For a start, mm. and you and you make an edit, then that edit happens on every um, playlist rather than just the one that uh, on which you're working, which can be useful in some times, but it it does it does um, give a bit of a bit of an overhead. So uh, I hope that helps. Try that, and uh, if it still doesn't work, then um, uh, get back to us. Okay, Alan, one for you here, Jacob Hain. Another one from Facebook. Uh, will Pro Tools ten work? Uh, in Windows 10 Pro. Oh well, hmm. yeah, we're coming back. We're coming back to the yeah. same old discussion again, really. Yeah, um, yeah I, I'm sure. I mean, I've never tried it to be perfectly honest, because as soon as 11 was stable and past version point zero, I was on it like a shot. I couldn't wait to get rid of Pro Tools 10 um, because 11 onwards takes so much more advantage of everything that. Uh, an operating system like Windows 10 has got to offer. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if you, uh, have you, have you I, I'm, I'm not sure the background of this. Have, have you had the old um, obligatory upgrade to Windows 10 from Windows 7 and you're now stuck wanting to put in Pro Tools 10? The, this is another thing, you know, the, the ever-marching forced upgrades thing that, you know, you have to keep up with. However, I would recommend to anybody to jump from uh, the 32-bit version of Pro Tools up to the 64-bit version because, you know, you're getting access to all the lovely RAM that you've got installed in your system. You've got dynamic plug-in allocation resourcing to all your all your CPUs. You've got a 64-bit operating system underpinning it. It's, it's so much better than, than, than Pro Tools 10. Um, again, you don't tell us anything about the hardware or, or such like that on it. So, um, but I, I've never tried it. I understand it can be done. Um, I'm not sure that you might have to do some tweaks using, trying to install it using compatibility mode or such like that. Um, but yeah, I, I would, again, I, I, I think if you are used to, all your other applications on Windows 10 being 64-bit, which they most likely are, if they're running on Windows 10, then uh, you know it's time to move your DAW software up to that uh, to that lovely, uh, resourceful juiciness 
as well. Um, I'm with you. I'm with you on that, Alan. Honestly, Pro Tools 11 onwards was, it's just, why would you want any, uh, just be on Pro Tools 10 or anything before that? Pro Tools 11 really was uh, a game changer, wasn't it? It just made everything better. Uh, in our Pro Tools studios. And I'm going to be a little bit controversial. Jacob, please don't take any offence uh, or anyone else that uses Pro Tools 10. But I feel a certain way about Pro Tools 10 when people talk about it. And I know someone else uh, in our team feels the same way. So I'm going to be a bit contro- controversial. If you're on Pro Tools 10, uh, are you holding on to that because you've got some cracks, um, crack plugins? It's just something... You know, I feel about Pro Tools 10. It seems to be where people enough, were doing a lot of that. If you haven't got a TDM system, then it's a, it's a question that always pops into my mind. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. mean, but, well, it was version 9, actually, in my experience, that all the, um, anyway, but that, that, that's, yeah, because um, AIX came in with version 10, you see. So um, that's yeah, it was the end of so Artes, I mean, wasn't it? End of Artes yeah. was Pro Tools uh, 10. Artas yeah. was Artas was available in, in, in along with AX in ten though yeah. the crossover one wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, all the plugins that I remember from Artas um, have come across. Um, yeah. yeah, There were certain things that didn't come across with HDX on DSP. Um, but yeah, exactly. I think I, I, I think again. How many years ago was Pro Tools ten? Um, four, I think now. five, four or five years yeah. ago. Again, unless unless you got a TDM system, in which case I totally get why you're on ten. Then I can't think of another reason to stay. Anyway, Jacob, hope that helped. Um, Zeke five five Jones. Hello, I have Pro Tools twelve for my MacBook Pro. I'm having trouble recording. When I uh, first got it, I wasn't having any problems, but now every time I want to record, I get pause in the bottom of the screen. Can you please? help me well mike's again been in uh, <laughs> but i'm sure we'll all chip in as well so mike uh, in the past when uh, the dreaded pause button comes up in the bottom left hand control of the edit window uh, i found trashing the pro tools preferences was the only solution that worked for me but this is going back a long way to pro tools 8 le i would say the same actually try trashing your pr- uh, your prefs julian exactly got any ideas? the same if, it, yeah. if it's like the the, the flashy transport buttons thing because I used to get that all the time running uh, running a D control. That used to it used to fall over all the time on Pro Tools 10. Actually, uh, I never used to look any further just because uh, it was just I could find out what's wrong or I could just trash the press and it'll go. I've got a different take on this, and I've never been one for trashing press anyway because it was always the get out jail card for tech support. Basically, have you trashed your press? Yeah, well, of course I have, because that's what you always say. So can we try and work out what's actually wrong with it, please? Um, but he could, and I've come across this, I've accidentally done this myself, he could have accidentally enabled wait for note. Good one. It's that, one, it's that little uh, button that's next to the metrobone symbol, to the left of it, with the pause symbol and the MIDI symbol on it. And if that's uh, enabled then it won't go into record until it receives a MIDI note. So that might be something that, and it's very easy to accidentally enable it. You go rogue mouse, mouse click or trackpad click, especially if you're using something like a, a, you know, a laptop where your, your wrists go over the, the, the mouse pad while you're typing. Um, it's very easy to accidentally enable all sorts of things in Pro Tools. So 
I've checked that one out. It might not be the case, but I, I've accidentally fallen foul of it myself. So that that might be an ours. The Pro Tools Expert Podcast is created using Source Connect Now from Source Elements. Register now for your free account at now.source-elements.com. If you have ever tried to do interviews over the internet with apps like Skype, you'll know how hit and miss the audio quality and connection can be. And even on a good day, it isn't really good enough for a long-form interview. We now use Source Connect Now, which offers ISDN-equivalent quality audio using a Chrome browser, no software to install. To get your free account, follow the link in the podcast notes. Okay, let's move across now to our find of the week, and this is sponsored by our friends at UGEM. UGEM Instruments plugins are your studio companions. Always on call when you want to ride, play, and record tracks. Take seat in the producer's chair and tell your player what you need. This means a maximum of musical and sonic integrity and versatility, and a minimum of your precious energy required to get there. Discover our virtual instruments at ujam.com. UJAM Instruments Innovative Virtual Drummer and Virtual Guitarist Music Production plugins are now available as AAX plugins for Pro Tools, so Pro Tools users can also enjoy the simplicity and versatility of these excellent instruments. Get what you need from your drummer or guitarist in a minimum of time. Check the link in the podcast notes. So, Alan, what's your find of the week? Well, um, yeah, this is a, a bit of an odd one because it's, it's sort of a find of the week turning into a cautionary tale. Um, on Friday, I had a find of the week because, um, as anyone knows me on Facebook, uh, would have found, would have seen, um, a week previously to that, my old faithful 2011 MacBook Pro coughed and died. Um, and I was looking at at least, at least a 500 pound repair bill. Um, and then, you know, and the rest to try and get it back if it would come back at all. So, um, so I was in the market for a replacement laptop and it's one of these things you don't realize just how much you need a laptop, especially a laptop with Pro Tools on it until it's gone. And so, oh my God, I found my complete workflow completely crippled. So if I was away from the studio, I couldn't just quickly fire up a session or do a bit of editing or even do a bit of video editing on it which I've got very used to being able to do. If I get inspiration at 11 o'clock at night, I can just open up the Mac laptop and, and write on it. So anyway, so I thought I'd found the ideal replacement for it. It was a um, Asus Republic of Gaming G752VY laptop, which uh, was a beast of a laptop, a 17-inch laptop. So it's more of a desktop replacement than a laptop. Uh, quite heavy, but incredible screen, incredible processor, built-in NVMe uh, PCIe SSDs. Um, but also, it was user upgradable. You could just pop off a panel on the bottom, put new RAM into there, replace the SSD drives, add a, add a second or third SSD drive as well. There was space in it for that. Um, it had three video outputs. Um, it was so many great things about it. Um, and I even yeah, it was brilliant because I got on a deal because it was an X display model. Smart, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Now this is the problem on Windows. Certainly, if you get an X display model, what they would have done to protect the identity and data of the original owner 
uh, because this was an online retailer. They don't have a display department. So <laughs> so like, they think, you know, it could be a return or whatever like that. But, you know, they say it's been checked over, they've reset Windows, and it's all good to go. And it was, apart from the fact that Windows laptops in particular, I mean, Macs do as well, um, they have lots of proprietary drivers for the various little niceties of that that particular laptop. So that particular laptop's probably got a custom-designed graphics card. It is made by NVIDIA, but the actual design of it is custom. Yeah, they've got backlit multicolor keyboards. They've got proprietary displays. They're not just your average IPS panel that you can get, you know, from a from a retailer. And so there needs to be all the uh, manufacturer's own drivers included with the system. Unfortunately, they've reset Windows and not included any of the manufacturer's drivers, so the backlit keyboard didn't work and the BIOS was out of date so it wouldn't see the Thunderbolt port and all this sort of thing. So I set about updating that and everything like that. And um, then I used all of Asus's official drivers and everything like that. The graphics card didn't like it one single bit, and it got into the same reboot, crashing, corrupted screen loop that my MacBook Pro was doing. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> so it's, this afternoon it went back with the courier back to it. But the problem is that as it's uh, X-Display model, they, can't, they haven't got any more stock of yeah. it, so they can't replace it for the equivalent price, so it's going to cost more money to replace. So my advice, my find of the week is never buy a display model computer. Um, it becomes, it, 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 you, they're going to have to do an awful lot of work on it. Make sure if you're buying a laptop, Windows especially, that it's absolutely brand new, you're the first person to ever use it and fire it up because uh, that's the only way to avoid the absolute nightmare I've had over the last three days, um, which included the uh, the Waves update nightmare that I described earlier. So, um, yeah, that's my find of the week. Um, never buy secondhand with a laptop. There you go. Oh, I bet you've been a pleasure to be around the last couple of days, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sure, uh, no, oh. no comment. I'm pleading the fifth for the sake of my marriage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, there must be something in the water, because I think even James had problems with his MacBook last week as well. Uh, oh. anyway. Oh, mm. yeah. anyway, Julian, what's your find of the week? Uh, mine, uh, to kind of like continue a theme, is, is UJAM Solid. Um, I did a review, um, and uh, I'd, it'd proof if it were needed that we don't just chuck Editors' Choice Awards around, uh, Experts' Choice Awards around, I should say, because that's what they're now known as, because I awarded my first ever one. Um, but I just think this instrument's great, and it's great because of what they've left out. I've used things like, you know, Superior and, and you know, that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, it's... Uh, I've disappeared down a rabbit hole of being an engineer with them. And what's more, I hate drum programming. <laughs> mm. I've been really spoiled the whole way through my kind of playing, I've, I've, I'm reluctant to call it career, uh, experience, that's a better word, of the first drummer I ever played with is kind of like probably the second or third best drummer I've ever, I've, I've ever you know, met, you know, an amazing drummer. And, uh, yeah, I grew up thinking that drummers were just these amazing people who could sit behind a kit and just make fantastic sounds. And you could say, oh, yeah, that's good, or that's not. And it's it's not it's not like having a real drummer, but it's a lot better than having the other instruments that I've used in the past because I've just spent less time doing the drums. Dan, what about you? 
Oh, it's it's another one of those blue faced uh, <laughs> rack units mm. from that German company I like. Uh, Tegler Audio Manufacture. They've got a reverb unit, and I really wanted to try it. They sent it to me. It's in my rack. I've been playing with it for a few days. It's called the Realm Sight Machine, I believe. Uh, I could be wrong, but I believe that's what it's called. It's a tube reverb, and it's it's interesting. Um, I'm not sure if I like it or not. Uh, if I'm honest, because uh, I do like, I absolutely adore their compressors and the uh, VTRC uh, preamp that I own now. Um, yeah, but uh, this I've been trying on a few things. It works beautifully when you want this style tube reverb, or it doesn't work at all. Uh, and it's quite dear; it's about two and a half grand. So I'm just trying to find the love at the minute. But I, I really do like it. I just, I just want to be wowed like I am with uh, their other products. So I've set the the bar quite high, um, my expectations, you know, because of the other things. And this one, I'm a bit like, uh, do I like it? Don't I? I've got to use it. It might be one of those cases where I end up borrowing it for like two months, like I did the Schreiercraft machine. But we'll see. Uh, review to follow at some point. It's so, a very so it's cool a dig- device. It's a digital, it's a digital reverb with, with yeah. some interesting Tubes. input and output stages and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's got those smart um, pots on it as well with a plug-in. So, oh, you so can it's recall. all recallable, but they move as well, so you can yeah. recall the analogue bit as well as the digital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that, that's special. Um, it's, it's it's really special. That Schwercraft machine, when you fire that up and you just fly between projects and it just goes, zzz, you know, that is amazing. It's, it's, it's a real moment. You're like, yeah, that's gone back exactly to how I left it. And, you know move on yeah, sort like, of thing i hate recall really hate recall and dance seriously with your stuff you're gonna have to program up a mix with loads of automation on the c24 with your automatic pops going on your uh on your tegler stuff and then yeah. just record a little bit and then just go and get the kids and then convince them that you're there and you're invisible <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's true something like that yeah well, it's a ghost it's a ghost in here it's uh, haunted <laughs> one of them will probably believe that but yes uh, back to the tube tube reverb it's it's very cool it, it's um it sort of feels like it's uh like they've made it after maybe too many beers or something well we should make a reverb unit uh why we make compressors and eqs no let's just let's do something different and this is different i'll give it that um yeah i will do a review and then you guys out there you can all hear how this thing sounds as well and uh we can all kind of come to the same conclusion on it because i do think it's very very cool um but is it as cool as their other stuff? Well, we'll find out in due course. But anyway, it is time now to pull up stumps. It is time to go and have some tea because it's late and my belly's grumbling. How about you, boys? But uh, yeah, thanks uh, all for listening. Um, I'm Dan Cooper. I'm Julian Rogers. And I'm Alan Sullivan. Good night. <laughs>